Let's talk about Russia and Ukraine now. The UN General Assembly has voted 93 to 24 with 58 abstentions to approve a resolution suspending Russia from its human rights organization over allegations of horrific rights violations by Russian soldiers in Ukraine. Canada's Defence Minister Anita Anand calls that a positive step. It shows that countries are acting together to condemn Russia's illegal invasion, further invasion of Ukraine, and to say unequivocally that that conduct and the lack of respect for human rights is unacceptable. That's Canada's Defence Minister Anita Anand. Now, the subject matter was different than the previous vote in the UN General Assembly involving uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but today's vote count was significantly lower in the votes for than a resolution adopted last month demanding an immediate ceasefire in Ukraine, the withdrawal of Russian troops and protection for civilians. With 24 voting against, 58 abstentions, countries not supporting the move included familiar ones such as Belarus and North Korea, Russia itself, obviously, but also China. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, African countries such as Ethiopia, Mali, Gabon, and Congo, and Eritrea, and Latin American countries including Nicaragua and Bolivia. So is the perception of Russia and its invasion of Ukraine changing somewhat? And what role is information playing in any potential change? Is it being viewed somewhat differently around the world in other countries than it is, of course, in countries such as Canada, where we are very much united in 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 absolute aberration or disgust at the war, at the invasion and the kind of civilian deaths that we've seen. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Christopher Paul. He's a senior social scientist at the RAND Corporation who specializes in asymmetric warfare, cyber warfare, and information operations. He joins me from Monterey in California. Thank you for your time tonight. Oh, happy to join you, Ben. I guess just to look at the first you know, 43 days of this conflict um, and where the information war has gone, because there was a lot of speculation, I think, even in the lead up to a potential invasion, that information um, would be a huge part of this fight. And, and at least early on, it seemed like the Ukrainians had really seized the moment and, uh, and captured a lot, of, a lot of victories on the information war side. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, the, the way the U.S. administration, the West, and Ukraine were proactive in offering forewarning about ru- what Russia might be up, up to, uh, pointing out, hey, based on satellite imagery and intelligence, we see Russian forces poised for an invasion. We think they're going to invade. Hey, sometime before their invasion, they're going to offer some kind of thin pretext, perhaps with a false flag operation, selling, shelling some of uh, their forces in, in the Donbass. So when exactly that happened, Everyone was aware that this is just Russian shenanigans and, and no one bought into it. This was, I mean, I think the level of transparency that was shown specifically by the U.S. administration seemed to indicate that they had been studying this for quite a while and, and had an idea of how to counter it. Yeah, both uh, the, the level of awareness, uh, paying the, the intelligence community paying attention to what was going on and uh, having learned some lessons from previous conflicts. Uh, I think the, the Russian annexation of Crimea in 2014 with their little green men and the associated obfuscation, I think that furnished a lot of lessons for a lot of people. I think Ukraine learned from that because they were caught flat-footed and, and uh, weren't able to marshal much support or help in the international community. And I think the West and NATO and the US, Canada even, I think there was uh, some, some awareness that that didn't go as, as it should have and perhaps with, with more thoughtfulness uh, better preparation, more could be done. 
Where do you think Ukraine has been particularly effective so far in this information war against Russia? Uh, I think the the president's personal charisma and character and their efforts at emphasizing and showcasing Ukrainian will to fight has been hugely effective, both in bolstering Ukrainian will to fight, showing the Ukrainian people and encouraging them, you are going to fight the Russians tooth and nail, and showing the rest of the world, we are going to fight the Russians tooth and, tooth and nail. Uh, that and in operation security, uh, they haven't tipped their hand, the Ukrainians, about what they are going to do, any losses or casualties that they have suffered. If they've made any tactical or operational missteps, we don't know about it. But when their farmers haul away a, a Russian tank behind a tractor, that, that makes for a great meme. We know about that. Uh, we, we know about uh, Russian formations that have been destroyed. We know about Russians that are are delayed or slowed down in their in their movements. They've been very effective at, at publicizing Russian failures and protecting their own operation security. Yeah, I've read somewhere someone comparing it to watching a boxing match where you only see one person getting hit. Just so. That's incredible discipline on the part of the Ukrainians, though, because when I, I mean, I was there in 2014. It was very different in 2014. They were very much on the back foot information-wise throughout that entire period. Yeah. So again, I think they they learned from that, and with the forewarning that that uh, Russia is going to do something like this, uh, I'm I, I I I haven't had any conversations. I don't know for sure what kind of preparations they made, but I think they were much better prepared. What sort of tactical advantage, therefore, has that given Ukraine specifically when appealing for help? Um, what kind of advantage has that given them so far in this fight? Do you think? Um. Well, I think the surprise of defying expectations, I think most observers in the West expected, bought into Russia's propaganda that the Red Army was this mighty force and that they had all this amazing technology and that, that, uh, that the expectation was that Russia was going to steamroll the Ukrainians, both because of an overinflated view of Russia's prowess and because of a lack of appreciation for Ukrainian training, preparation, and will to fight. So that surprise, and then effectively advertised and, and declared, has, has really helped rally the West behind Ukraine. Russia, of course, is still hard at work um, doing what it does, uh, which is spread its version. Uh, we could call it a lie. We could call it disinformation. Uh, but they've certainly been very active. It just has felt that, and you mentioned this earlier, specifically in terms of its audiences, it's certainly not landing uh, with Western audiences or not much, but it doesn't mean it's completely ineffective. Yeah, that's a really important distinction to make. So just because we in the West have been successfully inoculated against this round of Russian propaganda and find their claims that Ukraine is governed by Nazis that need to be excised absolutely ridiculous, doesn't mean that that doesn't ring totally true inside of Russia, where for 10 years, uh, internal Russian information sources have been providing this drumbeat of baloney that, that uh, Ukraine is, is governed by Nazis, uh, Banderites, or whatever the, the historical label is, and, and these other kinds of shortcomings and atrocities, and that, that uh, these kinds of narratives might resonate outside of Russia, not in the West, but elsewhere in the world, in China in India, in the Middle East. 
you pointed out that that has a lot to do with what your worldview is to begin with. So if you're prone to thinking that America is the imperial power that is up to no good, uh, then you might buy the Russian line. And that in some ways is, is seems to be the line that they've been trying to to sell at least to other parts of the world, that this is in fact them uh, fighting off something, not, not them invading someone. Exactly. Uh, again, primary audience for Russian propaganda is inside of Russia. So Russians have been spoon-fed daily uh, a steady diet of, of material that suggests that NATO is the aggressor, aggressor, the US is the aggressor, Russia is constantly under threat, Russia is brave and bold to protect itself and to, to look after its interests, and that this is just an example of that. And so in other places where there are narratives that suggest that, the, there are, there, that Western aggression is a thing, then that resonates there. When you look at, I mean, I think we were under the impression at a certain point that, that news traveled so fast via so many different areas now through social media, that it would be very hard for a country like Russia, which was relatively plugged into the world system, unlike, say, China, to sort of have a media blackout. But they seem to have managed to shut everything, to shut every other narrative down for the time being, at least. Uh not as no. comprehensively as that sounds. So there are a lot of Russians who get their news from Russian TV and, and other official media sources. Uh, but I, in, the, in the week after their new journalism law, uh, the rate of download of private virtual private networks, VPN software in Russia went through the roof. So there are clearly people who want to get to the unfiltered internet. The big surprise, and maybe it wasn't surprising to some, but the, the impact, the chilling impact on journalists of these journalism regular, if you tell the truth and do good journalism, if it's inconsistent with the, the Russian narrative, you could be held personally criminally liable. That, that really stands in the way of free press. So that, that, prevents, uh, that prevents a lot of good journalism from happening. And that has a big impact too. We certainly saw the very few remnants that were left of what could be called independent Russian journalism shut down very quickly uh, in the early days of this invasion. That would have had obviously a chilling effect as well when there is no information within the country, even um, official information at least being shared that is that doesn't follow the same narrative. No, exactly. Uh, so maybe there, there need to be new efforts to help penetrate Russia's in- internet and, and let Russians have more access to the truth, but that'll be a tough row to hoe because Russians have been fed this steady diet of skepticism in all media, but particularly having this, this regular drumbeat that, that Russia is the aggrieved party, that the West is the aggressor, and always trying to put Russia in a box and constrain their, their options, uh, that, that anything that isn't consistent with that is, is going to struggle to gain traction. I'm speaking with Dr. Christopher Paul. He's a senior social scientist at the RAND Corporation. He specializes in several fields, including uh, cyber warfare and information operations. After this, we'll talk a bit more about uh, in war, opponents always learn as they go. And I'll be curious to ask um, Dr. Paul what he thinks lies ahead and how important the information war will continue to be as this conflict drags on. We'll be back with that. I'm back with Dr. Christopher Paul, a senior social scientist at the RAND Corporation. Uh, We've been talking about the information warfare side of the conflict of the war in Ukraine, how the Ukrainians and the West really 
uh, seized the moment at the beginning of the invasion to really define a narrative about this conflict for most of the West or for a Western audience. Meanwhile, Russia, who had been effective at at, uh, at propaganda in the past, specifically with the uh, invasion of Crimea, with the invasion of uh, Eastern Ukraine, the Donbass, and this time seemed to be caught off guard uh, by their inability to affect the narrative, but the, how that and how that might have changed over the last forty three days or so. Uh, where do you see this? I mean, again, opponents always learn from each other as, as this goes on. Do you see this information war evolving as it goes on? And, and how do you think that might play out? That's a really interesting question. And, and one of the things that's going to happen going forward isn't really a change. It's going to be it's going to be back to the future. It's going to be the same old Russian effort to dismiss, uh, distort, distract, and dismay audiences. So we have, within the last couple of days, recent evidence suggesting war crimes, suggesting execution-style killings of civilians in areas where Russia has withdrawn, like Bukha. Uh, there's, there's pretty strong video evidence suggesting that. And then there's Russia's effort to, to distract from and discredit those claims, uh, claiming that they have evidence that they will share. I'm somewhat skeptical because if they have evidence, they would have shared it by now. They may at some point come up with something that they call evidence. And if we were, if we were in, in a video mode, you would see me make air quotes around that evidence because just because you call something something doesn't mean that it is that thing. But the, it's, it's, it's like uh, 2014 in Ukraine, in Crimea, uh, creating just enough ambiguity around something to create some analysis paralysis, to suggest that there are two sides to something that is in fact pretty much cut and dry. So Russia is definitely going to continue to use disinformation and try to obfuscate and muddy the waters. When you look at the information, one gets the impression that the you know that people have pretty much defined where they sit on this uh, information-wise. Do you see that shifting at all as this as this goes on? Do you think there's any fluidity in terms of public opinion, uh, and that perhaps Ukraine's information war will become less effective over time, or Russia's will become more effective over time? There's certainly some possibility for that. Um, maybe there's some opportunity for a couple things to happen. One is fatigue. So everyone rallied to the flag. Everyone was inspired by Ukrainian bravery and, and resolution and their effective advertising of, of those properties. Uh, how long does that last? So all over the U.S., we have... Uh, kids having lemonade stands with Ukrainian flags and, and selling lemonade to send proceeds to Ukrainian refugees and, and other kinds of, of shows of support. But again, how long do those things last? And how long do those things last in the face of economic hardship, where uh, sanctions against Russia start to have bleed back effects in the economies in Europe and maybe even here in, in North America? What happens then? Do we get do we get tired of this? We have seen um, differing views, certainly on on Fox, for instance, on right wing media in the states. Um, how do you factor that into this? Is that is that just pure domestic politics and may not have a long lasting effect, or is that something that uh, that we that should be looked out for in terms of a real factor here as this goes on? So openness to Russia's narrative is based on your your worldview. And so if you have a worldview that holds that nothing that the Biden administration does could possibly be right, if the Biden administration is supporting Ukraine, you become skeptical of of Ukrainian claims. 
uh, if there if there are other kind of extreme white right wing positions that uh, praise dictators, well, Putin is a powerful strongman dictator. Uh, if if your if your position is that that men like that deserve respect, then you offer grudging respect. And again, where you start often determines where you end up. So if that's your starting position, listening to Russian accounts, you're more likely to give them credibility, more likely to give them more credibility than they deserve. It is fascinating, though, to think back and, and imagine what that would have been like if someone in, uh, you know, if, if, if 50 years ago, someone had been parroting the words of Yuri Andropov or the words of, uh, of, of, of Leonid Brezhnev on American television. Uh, yeah, uh, a different time, uh, different starting positions, more, more shared values, less division. When you look at other countries, and this could be important going forward to the Chinas, and you mentioned earlier the Indias, how is this? How could this information war then start to impact the global view of this conflict and a cohesion that we've seen so far, at least amongst Ukraine's partners in the West and elsewhere? Uh, but over time, do you think that uh, that Russia's attempts to to redraw or at least retell this story may succeed uh, in places that are important? Certainly possible. Uh, I understand that Russian propaganda is gaining traction in Spanish language channels. I understand that, that uh, again, we've mentioned China, we've mentioned India, uh, Russian language propaganda is, is gaining traction, or not Russian language, Russian propaganda is gaining traction in Arabic language channels. So it'll be interesting to watch as discussion moves forward in the UN, how unanimous the support of Ukraine is there or where where does it start to move towards Russia from from parties other than the ones you might expect? And again, do you think that goes back to an issue of worldview? I think it starts with worldview, and then then continuing pressure that that Russia uh, recognizes that they have the potential for support in these places. They have a, a pretty robust global media apparatus. So just because they've pulled. Uh, English language RT broadcasting doesn't mean that RT casting in other languages. Uh, so they're they're continuing to put out the drumbeat of their propaganda message in other places, and and that's just the information environment that doesn't even get to the diplomatic layers where Russia might be Russian Russian ambassadors might be working overtime to to make future promises or to shore up relationships or things like that uh, with governments, which can then have some influence on the media environment and the views of their own citizens. Certainly a fascinating aspect of this war. Uh, Dr. Christopher Paul, thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, Ben, thanks for having me. Really, really nice talking to you.